0: Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, and we got some good stuff. We're going to talk a lot of Philip Lindsay and the running backs here in this first segment. My man Drew Doherty is going to stop by for our In the Lab podcast. If you missed it, man, well, we got you covered. But in the second segment, we're going to hear from a guy that I absolutely, I, I love and adore this guy. I think he is... What a Houston Texan is all about. Came here in 2011 as a free agent from the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think he should go up in the ring of honor. That decision's out of my hands, but that's where I stand on Jonathan Joseph. He stopped by to spend some time with Mark Vandermeer, and that's going to be a really fun interview. So J. Joe coming up in the next segment with uh, Mark Vandermeer. You got me and Drew to kick it off. and. I'm not sure where the idea came for this. Oh, I do know. Um, Nick Ferguson, former Texan, and Drew got to know each other when Nick was here playing for the Texans. And we've been working on a Where Are They Now series throughout uh, our department. And so Drew talked to Sean Cody, and he talked to Nick Ferguson. And they stayed in contact, especially when the Texans signed Philip Lindsey. And Ferguson was like, look, this guy, you're going to really like this guy. We like him here in Denver. Not totally sure what's going on there, but drafted Javante Williams. I don't know. Maybe they had an idea of they were going to draft Javante Williams um, even before uh, they got rid of or allowed Philip Lindsay to walk. A lot of things going on. Who knows? But Nick Ferguson was a big fan, is a big fan of Philip Lindsay. So Drew Dory and I decided we were going to talk about that, share Nick's thoughts, opine on what Nick had to say. Here's a little hint. I agree almost 100% with what Nick had to say about Philip Lindsay. So here you go. Philip Lindsay, running backs, how it all goes together in 2021.
1: It's time. And we're glad that it's time. This is In the Lab. I'm Drew. That's uh, John. And John, in about a week or so, we're going to be out on the fields at the Houston Methodist Training Center across Kirby from where we are now, which is NRG Stadium. Watching the Texans practice, and I'm I'm excited about it. Saw Nick Casario in the building a moment ago. He was taking a quick break to get water because you know Nick Casario doesn't really ever stop doing anything, but uh, he, he hydrates properly, and that's good. So it was good to see the GM in the building. But um, hey, I can't wait to get going because it's been it's it's always such a long off season. You know, like oh, I am ready for the yeah. next game when week 17 is is finishing or when the playoff game, whenever you lose in the playoffs is, yeah. I want to play next week. And there's no next week for about nine months. Uh, most of the time, you know? Yeah.
0: And this off season is, <laughs> I don't think I have to tell anybody this offseason has been an interesting one on uh, many different levels. So not that training camp all of a sudden wipes it all away or that feeling away or whatever. No, no, no. But I mean, if you think about, man, it, it, Think about it from this perspective, Drew. From March, middle of March 2020. I'm sitting, I'm in studio right now. I'm in the dig on the Texans Radio Studio where we do a lot of work. And I remember being in here, and I think you were in here, and they were shutting the rodeo down. Yeah. For COVID. And I remember finishing up that week, and my family was going to the beach for a late spring break. And that's when full-on COVID shutdowns was happening. The new NFL league year was starting, and then it all started kind of unraveling because a trade was made. And yeah. and it's like, man, from that point forward, it's been like, oh, I mean, it, it feels sort of punching bag-ish, but really, you can rewind.
1: Of- you can really you Am can it further. You can rewind to the kickoff uh, after you go up 24 nothing. that kickoff return that, I mean, that that's Hardman, Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. But whatever. either, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's been kind of a, you know, as Texans fans, you're just like, man, where's the next punch coming from? We can from? actually
1: keep going back and back and back. Yeah. yeah, want yeah, to yeah. Really play that game. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, but, it, let's let's forward. forward.
0: Yeah. And so you fast forward to now and it's like, okay, you've gone through all that. You're still kicking, still got a squad ready to go. You got some new players you should be excited about. You got some uh, returners, you know, coming back, not kick returns, although you do have Andre Roberts coming in. Yeah. But you've got guys that, you know, Laramie Tunsil's thought to be one of the top three tackles in the league. You know, Zach Cunningham is one of the top 10 to 12 linebackers in the league. Um, so you, you've, got, you've got guys that you can be very, very excited about. And look, the, the quarterback situation is going to play out and we'll, we'll let it play out and, and, and react accordingly when it's done or there's guidance or whatever happens. We have no idea. But I think that's part of it too, Drew, is, is there has been this kind of, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I get asked all the time. I know you do. Man, you're out and about and you see people. And I was actually getting my car service. This is probably about a month ago. I was getting my car service. And I'm sitting there and this guy, I can feel this guy just staring at me. And I'm like, bro what and so I kind of looked up and when he saw my eyes he's like and I have my mask on he's like you're you're John Harris of the Texans right and then of course he wanted to bend my ear about about everything um and he's like so so what's gonna happen what's gonna happen I'm like I don't know and I'm sort of tired of saying I don't know at least on Wednesday we can start looking at this team and go okay here's what my eyes are seeing on the football field. And I trust my eyes more than anything else. I can tell you what's happening on a football field. And I feel good about that. And I feel good about what's here. Okay, let's let's watch this team grow together and see what happens. But it's just been, you know, when anything is so completely unknown, I mean, how do you react? You just react with, I don't know, we'll see. I hate, we'll see. I remember my, my mother used to tell me that all the time. Mom, what, you know, I would ask her, um, Hey, can can we go? Can we go to the mall? Because back then in the eighties, going to the mall was a cool thing. I don't know. We'll see. Like, we'll see what. Like, are we gonna go? Are we not? Like, what's the deal? Maybe's so, a
1: good answer too. I, I integrate yeah, that maybe. when my kids ask. We'll see, and maybe I take turns. They're
0: listen. They're great parental answers. Yeah.
1: They but buy the, you time. Kind you of know, a good good. We'll see. Good maybe to, to talk about to turn things back to. The Texans at hand, Philip Lindsay. We'll see what he's going to do. We'll see how much the Texans are able to integrate him and, and do what uh, they want with him. Because you know, last year had turf toe, concussion, knee injury, kept him from from doing what he would have liked to do. Only got to play in about eleven games. Still averaged four point three a pop. Picked up five hundred yards on the gra- ground. Scored a touchdown. But before that, first two seasons in the league, he cracks a thousand. And I know a thousand yards is not what a thousand yards used to be, but When you're an undrafted rookie, that's a big deal. Um, And a guy that used to play here at the safety spot two seasons, Nick Ferguson, I did a fun interview with him about a week ago. Uh, He's one of my favorite Texans that I've ever dealt with, uh, just kind of off the field. Good guy. Finished his 10-year career here. Spent the bulk of it with the Broncos in the mid-aughts. And, um, you know, he was on some really good teams. In fact, in those 10 seasons that he played, he was only under – 500 on on an under 500 team once and that was in 2007 with the Broncos went 500 or above 500 every other year that he played but um spent his time there most of it in Denver lives in Denver now has done a coaching internship with the Broncos now he's a sports talk radio host at nights on a sports talk radio station in Denver been doing that a while and he's seen just about every Philip Lindsay carry over the last few years and he and I keep in touch via text via twitter He's always been high on him, when Lindsey was a Bronco, raved about his explosiveness, his his kind of controlled violence, his smarts, his want to, all that stuff, and he is very, very much a Philip Lindsey fan. So, when the Texans signed Philip Lindsey, he was bending my ear immediately, like he was blowing me up. He's like, "You guys got a good one. This is going to be good for the Texans," and he has been very, very vocal about Lindsey's pass catching, and you might hear that and go like. Well, Nick, what the hell are you talking about? Because (laughs) Lindsey's only been targeted 47 times as a rookie, 48 times uh, the next year in 19, and then only 14 times last year. So basically he gets targeted just under three times per game. And he says, Ferguson says, well, that's Matt. You need to target him more because if he gets the ball out in space, he can meet a mismatch nightmare for linebackers. And he thinks the Texans need to feed this guy in the passing game as well as in the run game because he thinks – uh lindsey can do some really good things in that regard you're a safety yourself i think you and nick would have would have gotten along grandly had you been here then but what do you think of that when you hear what ferguson's saying because nick's not just some dumb fan i mean he actually knows the game he's coached <laughs> yeah. and he's watched this guy and he, he understands yeah. what's going on so i think it's kind of intriguing when nick says those things because by all accounts i think he's a, he's a razor sharp guy what do you think when you hear about Lindsay? being integrated into the passing game with what you've seen from him uh, running the ball those first two years? Because you kind of have to throw last year out with all the injuries and what was going on.
0: I think it's a dead-on take, to be honest. And here's where you got to be, uh, I don't say careful, but when you're looking at a running back, you know, the old days, I mean, you know, come back to the 80s. I remember my 1980s running backs were running 25 times a game. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You don't have guys running about 25 times a game. If you get guys in the 20 to 22 carries a game, that status, that, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, Derrick Henry carries it a lot. He carries it a lot. And he and needs to,
1: you need to give him that. I mean, he's right, one he's, of those guys. He's that the, can, the
0: focal he point. Should. He's the focal point of that offense. So, yeah. you know, Derrick Henry carried it 378 times last year, which is. Un- it's an enormous, enormous number. And they just kept feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. Now, if I do a quick math, that's two, three. That's 23 carries a game. And on the flip side, he had only 19 receptions. Unfortunately, the longest receptions he had were against us. But that's 19 receptions last year. And he's never been. That was his highest number of receptions. So he had 397 touches. That's the number one back in the league. My point in all that is I think that Phillip, I think there's, there's a level of diminishing returns, I think, the more that you use Phillip. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you, if you're giving him the ball 20 times a game and then targeting him four or five times and he's catching three or four of those, you're talking, you know, that's Derrick Henry touch territory. But I think his rookie year, he had 192 rushes. That's 12 carries a game. Oh, well, he played 15 games, but but it's like somewhere between 12 to 14 carries. Mm-hmm. He caught 37 or sorry, 35 passes. So that's about two and a half, somewhere two and a half, three. That's like 16 to 17 touches.
1: And that's a sweet spot, I think, for him.
0: I think a, exactly. Yeah. And people ask, well, why, why did you go and get four running backs for this particular reason? Because I think there is a law of diminishing returns in some sense for guys. Okay, well, he averages five and a half carries for his first 100 attempts. Well, give it to him again. Another 100 carries, he's going to be fine. No, I don't think so. I think that's going to diminish over time. So I feel like his rookie year is maybe the best example of him at his best. Because he had the same number of receptions as a rookie as a second-year guy. But he had 32 more carries, but he actually carried it less. His average went down. He went from a 5.4 yards per attempt average to 4.5. And that's what I like looking at, it's yards per attempt average. That yards per attempt number is when I look at it. 5.4, that's pretty darn good. If you get that, even his middle year, second year, at 4.5, Phil Lindsay carries it 130 times at 4.5 yards per pop talking about a guy that's it's 600 plus 700 plus yards um well i guess it's 17 game season so talking 680 you're talking about 750 rushing yards just in that it's a productive year that's a that's a very very productive year um from that perspective I, I know my math is probably not not great but if you give it to him if you let's say it this way you give it to him 10 times a game for 17 games you're talking about 750 yards on a season and he's probably going to catch two or three passes that's 13, 12 to 13 touches a game. That's how I think about it. Now, how many of those touches is he going to get out in space, toss sweeps, uh, swing routes out of the backfield, you know, circle routes, you know, pass routes versus gap play, power play, running the ball inside, cutting back on a wide zone, whatever the case might be, where he's got he's to handle the, the big dudes inside. So that, I think, is where Nick brings up a great point, and that is I'd like to get him outside, yeah. get him to space. And I did a, a Telestrator on a run that he had. It was his only touchdown run of the year against the L.A. Chargers. And it was one of those in which he created his own space. And it was re- it was really a play in which Kenneth Murray, the rookie linebacker for the Chargers here out of Elkins, went to Oklahoma, was standing in the gap, standing in a hole, and Lindsey basically froze him, read the blocking scheme, got behind his guard, and then that guard was avail- eventually able to get Murray, you know, knocked off a little bit. And Lindsey then goes through untouched. Those are... I mean, those are tremendous. Now, you don't go inside run a lot and not get touched, but that's what ended up in a touchdown. When he gets space, he's extremely difficult to stop because he doesn't have to break down on you, you know, pitter-pat the feet and then figure out. He's going to put his foot in the ground like Arian used to, put his foot in the ground and go, you're going left, I'm going right. You're going right, I'm going left. And he's not stopping. And And I love that in a running back. Yeah. And I think that's what Lindsey has. So, to me, there's, you know, there's a lot of math involved in all the things that we're kind of talking about. But having four running backs at a minimum, having four guys, four veterans, I think you allow all of them to be at max level the majority, if not all, the season. You don't have to ask one of those running backs, look, you're the guy, carry it 20 times today. You don't have you don't have to, right? You don't have to, and I think that ends up being uh, being a good thing. Lindsey gets ten carries, Johnson gets ten to twelve. You know, Mark Ingram gets seven to eight. I mean, however you want to split it up, I, and I, I I like that concept. I just think with Philip Lindsey, you've got that opportunity um, to get him the ball in different ways. The same with David Johnson. I really do. I mean, you can even throw it to Mark Ingram too. The passing game with these running backs, I think, could be. Uh, could be very, very interesting and really allowed Tyrod Taylor to do some different things, like they were able to take use uh, and make use of Austin Eckler, you know, out with the Chargers. Right. You know, Tyrod only had one game with him, but that's – you know, they used Austin Eckler that way. I think that's the way these backs can be used too.
1: And that's, that's talk right now. That's in a vacuum because, obviously, you got to have your defense doing what it needs to do of to course. keep you from having to play from behind and throwing too much. So, yeah. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. You know that I know that, but we don't want fans to think that we're guaranteeing that the Texans are going to just you know have five yeah. guys getting 600 yards a piece this year. We'd love right. that, you know, but that'd be awesome. There's, there's a lot, a lot that goes into it. But I, I was very intrigued by Nick and what he said and how he was explaining things. And he just thinks the guy needs the opportunity, just needs the the touches for that to yeah. to happen out of the passing game because we saw what he did on the ground as a rookie, and that was three four years ago, but it's very intriguing and it's something that I'm definitely going to keep my eyes on in the preseason. And then once the regular season gets going, because it's going to be here soon, man, it's going to be, well, here. you know, it's interesting.
0: You bring that up, Drew. I, I went back and I, I watched, um, I pulled up a 2019 game with the Cardinals and Seahawks. And my, my premise was to watch Justin Britt from, from Seattle and see, you know, just kind of get a, a little bit more of a gauge on what I had seen back when we signed him and, go yeah. back and, and watch him again. And it's interesting because he talked about wrestling in his off season uh, media session. And you really, you really can see it. You really can see it. And guys that wrestle, you can see it. You can watch a guy and go, yeah, that guy wrestled. You just know. <laughs> the offshoot of that was, and I wasn't really going to pay too much attention to the Cardinals offense, but there's David Johnson. And I'm watching David Johnson. And I'm seeing him like, whoa, and I was kind of fast forwarding, but I got to a point where I kind of stopped and it just so happened to be the next play. And I was watching, there's David, they gave it to him on a, on an outside zone. He cuts it back. He ends up, you know, making a, a cut and boy, away he goes. Then a few plays later, they throw him a little circle route over the, over the center. And I'm like, wow, look at him. Go. I mean, you just, I mean, I know it's 2019. Look, I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's still a couple of years ago and right back years, two years ago, might as well be eight years ago, but Watching David again, I was like, man, there's something there with David Johnson as well. But, like I've said many times, and you and I have have said this, got to use him in the right and proper way. Yeah. And I think that's going to end up being key. And I think it's key for for all these running backs. And, look, you're not going to do everybody right on the offense. You're not going to be able to use every single player on the offense the exact way that every player feels like, well, this is me at my best. It just – it can't happen that way. But the more guys that you can get at that particular level to be able to use in a proper way – and I think that's where running backs kind of come in. I think these guys now moving on another year, a little bit older, they don't don't need – I mean, David Johnson doesn't need his 2015-2016 production with the Cardinals. He doesn't need that. They don't need that. Um, So I think you can use him in the right way. Philip Lindsay, same thing. I think you can use him uh, in the in the right and proper way. Receivers, Brandon Cooks, there's ways you can use him. These tight ends, how do you use these guys? That's where Tim Kelly and his offensive staff have really, you know, how do we make sure that we're using these guys in the right way? And I always go back to Lamar Miller. You, you and I have talked about this. Lamar was a Lamborghini Ferrari. And when he got here, he was kind of pigeonholed into being an F-150. And everybody kind of knocked, you know, Lamar, oh, he's not this, he's not that. And it was like, yeah, but imagine if you, imagine if you were a, a, a chef and then they said, okay, go and farm. And it's the Mitch Hedberg joke. Go and farm and raise all your vegetables and do all those things and then come in and cook it all and make us all happy. I mean, that's essentially what they were asking him to do, and that was not his thing. So maximizing what it is that these backs can do, what the receivers are great at, and what these tight ends, how that mix can go together. That's going to be the challenge for this offensive staff, but I'm hoping at least the running backs, they're going to be able to take this group and maximize them just by sharing the load, both passing
1: and running. Well put. And speaking of Mitch Hedberg, uh, have you ever noticed, I haven't said this in a long time and asked this in a long time, but have you ever noticed that dogs are always in the push-up position?
0: That's very good. I went to the doctor the other day. Do not go see Dr. Aculove. I could do Are this you? all day with Mitch Hedberg jokes, man. That's good stuff. I could go, I could go all day. Legend.
1: Legend. Ducks
0: right. Eat for free at Subway. That's my favorite. Ducks Eat for Free at Subway. So you got Nick Ferguson, you got a running back talk, and you got a couple of freebie Mitch, Mitch Hedberg jokes at the very end. How you like them apples? Well, how you like these apples? Coming up next, Jonathan Joseph. Longtime corner for your Houston Texans, maybe the smartest football player I had ever been around, and I'm not just the, the only—I'm not the only person to say that. There have been plenty of people that would back that up. DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson—all these players that we talked to over the years when we talked about who's the guy, who's that guy you go talk to on the sidelines—it wasn't a coach, it wasn't a staffer, it was Jonathan Joseph. Well, J. Joe joins us next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans all Access. Welcome back. to This Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and draft expert, guru, however you want to look at me. Back in 2006, I think it was, trying to figure out what I was going to say about a guy that was really kind of popping on radar screens. And his name was Fred Bennett, University of South Carolina. I'd seen him play a little bit like, okay, man, this... This guy Fred Bennett's got a little something. I think he's going to be a fun watch. And you go to watch him, and then you're like, wait a second. Who's that guy? Who's the other guy? Who's that guy on the other side? Well, he was a Juco transfer, and his name was Jonathan Joseph. And lo and behold, Joseph would end up being drafted in the first round by the Cincinnati Bengals, spent, I believe it was, five years with the Bengals, and then spent the majority of his career, the majority of the rest of his career, with the Houston Texans. Went to a Pro Bowl twice with the Texans with those two good teams in 2011-2012. And was always the sage, wise Yoda, if you will. I think there were times he probably maybe maybe bristled that a little bit because it made it sound like he was old. But it wasn't really that. It was just he was so good in understanding the game. I remember we were in, we were in Denver 2018. Yeah, it was the McManus Miss 2018. Streaks going on. He doesn't play in that game because he'd been dealing with like a grade two or grade three hamstring pull. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. I can't remember when it comes to whichever the more serious one is, whether it's grade one or grade three, he was dealing with that. And he just, he played, you know, injured so often, played hurt so often. Um, but this one, he just, it was just not going to happen. He came rolling by me at halftime and, Without even just kind of missing a beat. He just dropped like four or five nuggets on me going on like I'm like trying to write things down. And after he walked past, cause it was just it was great stuff. And he was like that with everybody. Such a fun guy to have around, such a valuable guy to have around. And he came up to NRG Stadium the other day and had a chance to sit down with the voice of the Texans, our good friend Mark Vandermeer. Here's J Joe with Mark.
2: Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's Jonathan Joseph, Texans legend. And I mean that in every sense of the word, not just the NFL-branded legends, former player way, but you are a Texans legend, Jonathan. How does it feel to be back in the building?
3: Uh, it's a unique feeling, obviously, you know, to be back as a former player, as a legend, as you would say it. But I think, um, you know, I was blessed to be in this position again. And, um, you know, obviously... Um, seeing it from the other side, getting a different perspective on things, not as a player, as a former player, it'll be interesting. And obviously, you know, I have nothing but time on my hands, so looking forward to it. What is it like
2: to have nothing but time on your hands these days?
3: Uh, It's different, you know, because when you're playing, you're in a set schedule. So, you know, know, at 8 o'clock I have this workout, 10.30 I have to be here, 12 I have to be here, and so on and so on. Now it's pretty much you're doing everything around your kids' schedule because, you know, they're involved in sports, school activities, and different things. So, for me, it's more so about, you know, what my wife have on the schedule for them that I have to plan my
2: schedule around. So, getting used to that. But um, it's fun and interesting. I'm enjoying it. Take me through some of the memories here. What stands out to you? I'm not going to ask you, what's your favorite one? But what are two or three of the favorite memories you have as a Houston Texan player? Oh, man. Um,
3: I think one of those memories had to be pick six against the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the turning point in the game, big play in the game, just the energy in the crowd, the way everyone was going here. Um, man, thinking back, you know, nine years is a long time to be with one team and one organization, so we had so much good, you know, time during that time. It's kind of hard to think because you don't want to leave some significant play out. Right. But, you know, um, had it been those early years, my first couple years here, man, just – you know, the way we were rolling and playing, you know, 12-4, and 11-5, 13-3. and, 5, 13 and 3. It was just unbelievable just, you know, to put that winning streak we had that one year. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it, 9-0 or 8-0 or something nine like that? Nine in a row, yeah. Nine in a row. You know, just moments like that. That's hard to do in football. So mm-hmm. you think back on moments like that, you know, um, then you get to late in your career where you make a play to win the Buffalo Bills game and things like that, yep. you know, so just being able to do it with different guys throughout different times in your career, but, you know, under the same uniform it means a lot in the same building.
2: You know, when you got here and you paired up with Kareem in 2011, and Kareem was drafted the year before, his career changed. The defense chance, chance, changed. In the secondary with you, obviously Watt was drafted that year, but things really started to change, but you were instantly a leader. You were only in year five, I think, at the time when you got here, but you already had this experience and this ability to mentor younger players. Where does that come from, do you think? What do you attribute that to? I think
3: um, just obviously when I got to the league, um, I was one of the younger guys, obviously, with the draft, but we had a very heavy, dominant veteran team in Cincinnati. Mm You are across there, you had Carson Palmas, the quarterback, Rudy Johnson, the running back, Levi Jones, Willie Anderson, right tackle, Reggie Kelly, T.J. Husmanzada, Brian Simmons, you know, just all those guys, Brian Robertson, Justin Smith from the 49ers, Mm -hmm. Medea with Super Bowl MVP, Dexter Jackson. So just Mm -hmm. all those guys, and I walk in the locker room, I'm like, wow. When they talk, I listen, but they always try to guide me the right way, and teach me the right things, and make me do it the right way. And, um, it paid off dividends for me. I seen my game take off to a whole different level just by, you know, listening to different guys, taking different information and applying it to myself. And I always knew when I got to that stage and early on in my career, Marvin pulled me aside and gave me a pep talk, you know, about being a leader, about taking guys under your wing and helping younger guys out and things like that. And um, we did it in Cincinnati my third year. I was a co-MVP with Leon Hall, who was a year younger. And um, we kind of took over that defense with the older guys because Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, all those guys were young. Ray Malaluga, those guys were young. We were the veteran guys on that defense, but not particularly the team. Right. So we were the leaders upon that. So when I got here to Houston, we had all those guys on that defense, Connor Ball and Brian Cushing. Sean Cody was an older guy, but Tony o. Smith, Mario Williams. Mm-hmm. So it was just natural to fit right in and just be myself, be, you know, obviously a confident guy that I'm able to go out and showcase my skills, but at the same time, have confidence enough to help the next man out who's maybe fighting for my spot, maybe in the same room with me, but at the same time we're trying to win as
2: a team. So I've always looked at it as you only as good as the last man on the roster. Jonathan Joseph joining us, what always struck me about you is you always seemed to play no matter what the injury situation was, and it would take a lot to make you not play. In fact, several times I thought you were not going to come back into a game because you were being looked at or whatever, and the official word was return questionable usually when that happens questionable means out but you would come back so what about that part of your game Jonathan being able to play through injuries and I know some are worse than others obviously
3: I think you build it up somewhere I don't know where throughout your career where you make your mind up certain things ain't going to bother you as much and you have to play through something have to play through pain you know I was young we remember going up for a dunk in an um, AAU basketball tournament, and the guy, you know, my finger was kind of still bent now, but I bent it on the rim. Uh-huh. And right there and there, I just popped it right back in place immediately, went to the free throw line, knocked both down, and just kept playing. And didn't think about it as much, but now I look later on to life in a career, and a coach like Marvin Lewis, we had several talks, told me that it was a difference between being injured and being hurt. And, you know, as I got older, I understand that. Early on in my career, I was still kind of thinking, like, what are you talking about? Hurting. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if I'm able to go, you know, my 85% may be better than the next man 100%. Mm-hmm. And you think about that sometimes and like, wow, guys going to actually say that. But, hey, that's the way the NFL is as a business, and guys are professionals. So, at the end of the day, if
2: I'm able to go, I'm, my teammates are relying on me. I'm not going to let those guys down. You come into the league with all sorts of great athletic ability and you lit it up at the combine and everything like that. But you're a rookie, then you're a second-year guy. And as you go on through your career, Jonathan, at what point does it become where, hey, I know what's going to go on in that backfield. I know what the quarterback's going to do, or a pretty good guess anyway, a pretty educated guess. When did you get really comfortable mentally with the whole thing? How many years does that take?
3: I think it takes about two years, and Uh, truthfully, getting the right information from the right coaches. Okay. You know, that's helping you slow the game down and see the big picture of the game. And I think um, I was blessed in my career to be around several coaches, but the players, but Mike, Mike Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And Mike Zimmer played college quarterback, and he's right. seen things from the other side. Obviously, being a defensive coordinator, he's uh, his IQ is off the charts, but mm-hmm. playing quarterback gives him a different perspective because he likes to think like the quarterback. And for me as a defensive back, I've always thought how the quarterback would think. So I looked at it through that set of eyes. So when I watch film, I'm just thinking, what are they trying to do? Why they're moving the ball on this hash? Why they have this formation set or when they motion it becomes this. And just watching it over and over and over till the pitcher slows down and I can see it clear. And when I got hurt in two thousand eight, broke my foot, I went home, went to my mama's basement and I watched every game on Sunday. Every game that I was can have on the ticket on T V. Just back and forth. And what I was doing was just catching on to the same routines. Oh, they got I near with this. They're running this. And it was team after team after team. And that just gave me even more confidence. What I'm seeing
2: is I can believe it and take it to the game. Wow. That's awesome stuff. Now, offensive players, not only your defensive teammates over the years, but offensive teammates have come to you for advice. How flattering is that when an offensive player wants to know, hey, what are you seeing out there? How could I get better? What are, what am I missing as an offensive player? How does that make you feel?
3: I think it makes me feel great, you know, um, because they put the trust in me to get the right information. And you know, for me, I've always been a guy, when I get beat on a play, I like to know what a guy did or how did I get beat, you know, mm-hmm. because I can learn from it. And no matter what the situation is, I'll ask a receiver at the time, hey, what did you do right there? What did you see to make you do that to me? And I would always tell those guys, if I anticipate something or jump something, what i seen, even though we're competing, I'm trying to help you out get better also for yourself individually and, like I said, before the team. So, um, for me, it was always just by pulling the guy to the side and just the small details because at this level, everybody's good. So it's the small things that separate you, and a lot of guys don't see it. And giving guys confidence to believe in their abilities, like you talked about, Kareem. Me and Kareem are two totally different athletes. So the way he's going to play things is not going to be the same way as me. Right. And just letting the guy understand that.
2: And that's okay because we all out here just to make plays and do your job. What about coaching? Because I know everybody (laughs) must ask you this question. So would you do it? How do you feel about it? What are your words on that?
3: Honestly, I don't know because, you know, as a player, totally different from being a coach. You know, like you said before, helping guys out, doing this and that. But as a coach, it's a totally commitment. It's totally different. You know, as a player, I still was a player. Then I get to help out, but I'm not a full-time coach. So I na- haven't had a chance. You know, when Mike Vrabel was here, he would let me call the play sometimes on Saturday night in the defensive meeting room and things like that. So I've always had no feel for things like that and the interest, but I haven't put much thought into it because when I was playing the game, I was always just putting so much time into the game. I didn't think about, man, since I'm done, what would I do this or that? I just have the love for the game. So anytime I'm around, I just always want to be involved, so whatever that takes me to, you know, I'm all open for it, and have my 100% commitment. But you know, I don't know right now.
2: Well, that's where we'll <laughs> leave it then. Jonathan, thanks so much for being with us. No problem. Thank you, Mark.
0: I am absolutely thoroughly convinced that man could do anything. Have to do with football. He could do the business side. He could be on the business ops side. He could be on the football ops side. He could coach. He could scout. He could mentor. He could do anything. He would be a fabulous addition to the Texans in some way, shape, or form. Or back where he's from in Rock Hill. I know his family is, is all here in, in Houston. Hopefully he stays here uh, in Houston, in the Houston area, and can be with the Texans. Man, he would be someone I would want. on um, my. I, I, I'm creating my own coaching staff, and I got two people I want on it. Jonathan Joseph's one of them. There's another one uh, who I would absolutely want on that coaching staff uh, that I'm putting together, but that'll be for a different day in time. How about that? All right. We get back. We'll go around the league. Plenty of things happening as uh, every getting about that much closer. I think a few teams are reporting this week. Some rookies are already in uh, camp in certain places. So we'll talk about all that's going on in the NFL next right here on Texans. All access. Texans. All access. Texans. All. We got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans. All access. So glad to be with you. I am John Harris, football analyst Sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And throughout the year, outside of Texans games, we have an opportunity with the Texas kickoff to kick off the season in the Battle of Pining Woods. And then, of course, uh, the Texas Bowl at the end of the year. Where we have some tremendous college football that comes through our stadium and comes through our city. So college football is a I mean, I'm not overstating it, saying it's a big thing. I mean, honestly, I'm on the radio today because of my love for college football and all the college football, all the radio I did on college football, really before the Texans became a thing here in Houston, kind of in between the Oilers and the Texans. So college football is a big deal, and I thought, you know what? Let's go around a league, the NFL, and take a detour, if you will, towards college football because a massive – Realignment bomb was dropped today by our buddy Brent Zwerneman from the Houston Chronicle. Texas and Oklahoma reach out to the SEC about joining the conference. Now, realignment in college football really kind of went to a fever pitch back in 2010, I think it was. My buddy Chip Brown. Who now writes for Horns twenty four seven dropped the bomb about Texas and Oklahoma A and M, I can't remember who else, but essentially the powers that be in the Big Twelve merging with the Pac ten to create this super conference, the Pac sixteen, and I remember that was content fodder for days. Like, oh man, Texas and USC in the same conference, A and M and UCLA in the same conference. Wow, this would be unbelievable. Then, things kind of went crazy. That didn't come to fruition. Texas created the Longhorn Network. A&M said, we're bouncing. We're going to the SEC, which I thought was a tremendous move for A&M. And then, all this realignment took place. You saw the Big East come and go. Uh, The AAC become created. Boise State... Out in Idaho, the far west, who's gonna join the Big East and the AC and the AAC. It was a mess. And then finally they got to a point where it's like, enough. Leave it where it is. Stop. Well, just yesterday, I was on with my buddy David Nunez Tech Sags. for people that don't know, I've I've done a have uh, done a thing with TechSags. I've done radio with tech sags since 2014. And I've you know, so I've I've, I've talked a lot about different things. Well, on Tuesday, I was on with David, and he was at the SEC Media Days. He was asking me what I thought about the comments of Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, and what he had to say. And essentially, Sankey didn't say anything about realignment, but what he did mention essentially was a shot across the bat of the NCAA, and that was, look, we've been kind of bowing down to all the smaller schools. We might just take our ball and go home. Well, this story from Brent came out on Wednesday. Well, in that interview, I was talking about a number of things that Sankey might be referring to, and then I said right at the very end, just a hunch, I just said, you know, David, I, I don't know that this whole conference realignment stuff is over either. It's been dormant for a long time. I think there could be something cooking. Story today from Brent, Texas and Oklahoma, have reached out to the SEC about potentially joining the powerful league. It would make the SEC a 16-team league. My guess is they would do two 18 divisions. I guess Texas and Oklahoma would potentially, I'm just thinking out loud here, Texas and Oklahoma would join the SEC West. So you would have Texas, OU, Alabama, Auburn. Well, you'd probably have to move a couple to the East. So I'm not totally sure, but you'd have A&M, Oklahoma, and Texas back in the division. Now, As a college football fan, I love it. I love it. There's a lot of business things to consider with this. But in Brent's article, he said this, and I thought this was pretty interesting. An announcement could be made within a couple of weeks concerning the potential addition of Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC that would give it a SEC 16 schools, make it the first of a national super conference. We have said for a long time, I have said for a long time, I feel like we're going to four 16-team super conferences, and that that's where we're headed. If these 16 teams are what make make up the SEC, oh, my gosh. It is the super conference. And I don't even know that anything else gets close. I guess the Big Ten, at that point, presumably snatches up Iowa State. Um, trying to think who else. Maybe Kansas. Kansas State. I mean, from a basketball perspective, getting Kansas is a big deal. I don't know, but this could be the first domino to fall in a four-conference, six, four-sixteen-team conference idea, super-conference thing going on at COD football. This is this is massive news, and it's really, um, I don't know if it caught everybody off guard, but when this dropped, the SEC media day is still going on. So all of a sudden, people are scrambling while they're at SEC media days, and I've seen that happen when there's been news dropped. And people are calling sources, hey, I'm calling this guy, calling that guy. Anybody that I've seen on Twitter today that has been interviewed has not refuted this statement. Oklahoma State, on the other hand, is po'd. They put down a statement that was not very nice uh, about things. Um, So, yeah, this is going to be definitely one to watch, potentially Oklahoma-Texas moving to the SEC. Either way, Big 12 and SEC are partners of the Texas Bowl, so uh, we kind of win either way in some sense. But this, for college football, would be unbelievable. It would be incredible. So there you go. And hopefully this show is incredible. Thanks to J. to Mark, to Drew, to all of you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, buddy. And as always, go Texans.